We are live. Welcome to another episode of Murray Python Radio. It is, we had a debate. We're going to go with 542. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's what it is. And <clears throat> we are talking with Ari Flagel, and we are going to be talking about his recent trip to Papua New Guinea yeah. um, to talk about his research with the Bowens Python. And as always, yeah, so the guy just wandered Pete. in. Yeah, I don't understand how <laughs> he got here. here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I sniff around and smell Ari and I just oh. kind of like trail. <laughs> Depending on how this trip went, sniffing the Ari may not have been that best of a thing. I mean, who knows? <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess every time you do your trips now, what, every year, right, Ari? Yeah. Basically. Uh, at least once a year, sometimes twice. So sometimes um, twice. But yeah. everything kind of slowed down after the pandemic. So I'm like picking back up on where I left off as far as uh you know, twice a year if if possible. So Yeah, we always try to get uh an update of what's going on so uh we can know, live vicariously we can, through we can our, hear all yeah. about the cool stuff that we can't <laughs> see. Uh, probably the safest, safest way. Yeah, 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 yeah. We let you go do all the dangerous stuff and then report yeah. back. Yeah, I'll st- I I stay on the continent to the south. <laughs> I, I, I like that one. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So tell us about it, man. What? Yeah. How I was mean, this trip? What was? How was the trip? How you know? Yeah, it was good. It was good to get back. I was there last August, mm-hmm. uh, for like twenty something days, um, and then uh, I just got back. I was there. I can't even remember when it was. I think a week and a half ago, I think I've been back or a week or two. I've been back now. Okay. So I've been there for a good portion of the month, almost the full month. So, uh, yeah, everything is about the same. It's still wild and crazy. And, you know, you know, you flip a coin and see how the day is going to go. But I went to a new area that I had been scoping out um, with a new local group, a uh, new uh, indigenous group that's there. And they were gracious enough to let me stay with them. And, and then we discussed me continuing to come out and visit them because I think the area they're at is really unique as opposed to some of the other places I've I've been studying for the last 15 years. So this okay. was this was a cool one. Um, I got to see my first cliff nest, which I have never been able to experience yet. Uh, everything that I usually encounter with my, with um, nesting animals is, you know, kind of like a, um, you know, you climb up the mountain, you go down into this gorge kind of valley. And it's like this like highland swamp that I call and like, you know, they're in this area there, but this one was like alongside some cliff um, formations. And it was just like a really, I I had been sending messages to Keith while I was there and kind of just describing, you know, what's going on and everything. And it was just an interesting kind of scenario. It, It looked very kind of, um, uncomfortable for an animal to really reside in long term, but it was still really neat um, to see it. So, and then and there was a female uh, sitting on eggs. It was about like another, I'd say at least a dozen eggs. So, it was uh, it was cool. So I got to record that one, and then there was another nest about a hundred feet below her, uh, in more of the kind of atypical kind of uh, style, I should say that I'm used to seeing. So she had another clutch of eggs on with her too. So it was, uh, it was good. Um, I, you know, my, my, all my research really is kind of finally pointed in the direction of nesting ecology and biology with these snakes, because I just find it really cool how they, you know, they reproduce in the wild so frequently and, and their choices of like nesting environments and, and, you know, how stable it is and, you know, everything that's in, you know, encompassing with it. So it was, it was a good, it was a good trip. So I got yeah. some new 
meetings and stuff and temps and everything. So cool. So this, 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 this cliff nest, like, is that was it open or was like she kind so, of sunk back a little bit? Oh no! So it was sunk back. The way it was set in was um, the way the rocks. It's hard to describe. It's like walking on top of limestone okay. that's pointed, and then inside, like the gut, the the way the formation is, there's like these channels inside of it, and some of the channels go, you know, really shallow, and some of them just go straight down, mm-hmm. and there's vegetation growing through it, so it's really, really unsettling walking on, and you've got to walk on top of the limestone pieces, so it's like these jagged, sharp rocks that you're walking on top in this nest was against a, a cliff face and it had about i'd say about three feet of a footer on the bottom where i could stand on flat ground and the rest was just sheer cliff down and then she was um i could i we we found her because you know she's obviously leaving sign out you, we found the scat and and her yeah. shed like inches away from her nest so, um, so she was tucked into this like depression, um, inside there. And then aside from, you know, the placement of the nest itself in this cliff formation, everything is atypical from what I'm used to finding in these other areas. So it was, it was really cool to see a yeah. different creation and nesting, you know, historically everyone says they, they live in these cave rock walls and the, in, in the cliffs and stuff. And I had never been able to encounter, encounter one of the places that I've been going to. So it was interesting to finally see one firsthand and look at it and think to myself, wow, this is not a good place to reside. If you're an animal, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. Like, uh, there there's there, you know, with the other areas that I go to, there's, um, chance for animals to interact with each other during the seasons, which is probably why the females choose to reside in these year after year. But Mm -hmm. in a spot like this, this is going to be more or less a one-time shot because, you know, there's there's not even enough room for two animals to be up there, let alone one. Jeez. You know, able to breed and then find a place to nest. So my speculation with with this was she bred lower down at the base of the mountain and then kind of went up, like kind of searching for a place for herself to to find um, that worked for her. And it was you know the same kind of scenario where it's all tucked in and she mm-hmm. made a chamber and everything like that. And the chamber was wasn't too it wasn't as deep as I'm used to finding. Um, but uh the um the nest was uh uh protected by all the elements um and it was basically but the only thing different about it was it was up elevated mm-hmm. and was in this rock formation but everything else of it was the standard you know from what i'm used to seeing um uh, year after year so it was really it was cool uh it was very a very scary climb just because of what expecting to be climbing in that kind of an environment i'm used to doing my typical where it's along the cliff you know i go in i come out i do that and it's a lot of lot of work and walking but this one i was actually having to balance on top of these sharp like cliffs it, it looked like uh you know like mordor that's kind of like how I, <laughs> I, was, I, I messaged my wife and i told her i was like this area was crazy i was like it was like climbing over Mordor, uh, <laughs> and it was sharp, jagged pieces of limestone that would just crumble. Um, but as as always, um, she was, you know, uh, in her typical chamber uh, mm-hmm. with uh, vegetation in in su- in soil where she was at. Like everything was like normal, um, and uh, 
she wasn't exposed. I've, I've never come across a, a Bolins that's exposed before, right. unless it's out basking, um, you know, because it's just, you know, the area was like, there's not a lot of places to go also where that nesting chamber was where she was at. So it made me think also that this was just a one time deal um, that she was using this spot. But I, I don't know. I mean, the more I see, the more we get, we understand. So. Yeah, man, it'd be cool to see if she comes back like next year yeah. or something like that. You know, yeah. if it worked out good for her and she's just going to come to this cliff face every year, that'd be that'd be interesting. I'd, I'd like yeah. to see that. It's always cool man. Though, like, how they have it positioned because obviously they get it where the sunrise mm-hmm. hits it first, so they get that warmth of the day, um, you know, and they get that UV exposure, and then you know the you know then they get cloud cover and protection. I mean, obviously, there's nothing going to be up there uh, to. to to pull them out she was about i would say she was all of nine feet she was about an average an average female um the um yeah i, I just got um a message from keith also asking about the babies <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that was one thing i was thinking of too like where the babies go in this kind of a scenario and there's Jeez. all these little rock like little cracks and little holes and stuff in the rocks i'm sure they just zip right down in there um, and, um, and, you know, that'll protect them. I mean, I, I did see uh, a new Guinea Eagle this time in the area I was at. So that was cool. That is um, cool. So, yeah. and that's, that's going to be the pro- predominant, you know, predator for these animals up to a certain size. You know, obviously babies are going to get picked off by that. Right. Um, so they're probably, they probably know the time, the season. So they're probably hanging around, but, um, as with the babies, uh, some of the, in the other, like, more like level nesting areas that I'm used to seeing, uh, they could disperse after they shed and, you know, they just disappear into the ferns and the vegetation. Mm-hmm. But on this, they're probably going right into the rock yeah. um, because it's warm, it's security, you know, and there there's little lizards and stuff that they're predominantly feeding off of. Um, so they're able to probably catch them uh, easier in the area. That's cool. um, well, let's hit this question first. <clears throat> yep. Um, in the cliff nesting versus ground nest, did the animals behave in the same regards to defensive protection over the nest? Yeah. Um, I have never had a defensive or an aggressive Bones python I've interacted with in the wild. Uh, (laughs) They're very much in a kind of, they're very calm. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they're curious as far as like what I'm doing, because like I obviously am not trying to disturb the animals one bit because I'm just trying to observe, you know, what she's doing naturally uh, and Mm. then the environment itself. So there's very, very limited interaction on my part when I'm Uh there, stuff like that. Um, I was doing more of that in the initial my initial research stuff where I was trying to get like, you know, animal weights and animal lengths and stuff like that. Atypical as opposed to doing like now this you know, nesting ecology where I'm more focused on what she's doing in this nest and the way the nest is designed and things, but, um, everything was the same. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, it it was just the fact that it was on a cliff, which was interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I think about the, 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 uh, tour, not tour guides, but the the (laughs) guys that were taking you around Did they were they barefoot walking on those jackets. I still don't understand. What the hell? (laughs) I had like the the head guy that owned the the village and then like his brother, uh, who came with us, who came with me and, um, they're walking around barefoot and it's just like, and then like, obviously like 
It, the funny thing with the Highlands is when you're out there, like, you know, if you're hiking or just walking around, like people are wandering around and stuff and, and they'll just say, like, oh, what they're doing sounds interesting. So I'll follow you guys, you know? <laughs> so I had like, I think like two or three other spectator locals with me. They were just like walk. They had nothing better to do but walk on top of these sharp rocks with me uh, barefoot and, and go through these, you know, this area. And then I found out that I was looking for a snake and they were just like, oh, wow. So, um, but yeah, they're, they're barefoot. No. Okay. Uh, this was the first question that popped up, but uh, did you see a male this time? Or no, I have not seen a male. I am I am on the lookout for a male now. It's you know it's it's my thing um, with the the speculation I have with them is I feel like the females reside in territorial areas mm-hmm. or areas which they're more or less residing in more frequently, and the males are cruising. And they're trying to pick up on all those female pheromones by them leaving all the scat and the urates in the sheds outside these nesting areas. And that's what basically brings these males in. Um, I don't think they're in close proximity to these nesting areas at all, except for the season, uh, hmm. which is breeding. So they're breeding away from these nests then? Is that what you're well, saying? I don't know. Um, well- my, That's kind of the thought. My theory with these like lower elevate or not lower elevation, these non cliff nests is that they reside in these nests a lot of the time throughout the year. Um, mm-hmm. We utilize them, in my opinion, also to an extent. Some of them do uh, because mm-hmm. obviously, like, but I found old eggshells in the nest with a female on eggs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I found three, I think two or three nests like that so far, which is interesting. Um, but I, I, um, I, I certainly think in some scenarios, the females stay there because it's perfect, you know, perfect place for them to get away. They can, breathe safe. Um, you know, they have everything they need. So as opposed mm. to, you know, cruise. Uh-oh. No. No. <laughs> He's like, no, I have so many questions. <laughs> I know, I have like 20 questions for you. Yeah, oh no, God. Well, oh, all right, well I'm just going to make yeah. up the answers. Um, <laughs> I have no experience, but I'm just going to say things. Uh, Why not? Everybody else does. I, I, um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good one, Pete. Took me a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's slow getting back on the horse, but I, I, yeah, I get there. Um, so I guess my first question is the, the idea of do you do you go there with a purpose before the trip? Like an idea of question that you have in your head? Is this is how your research is formulated? Like how does yeah, how does so that process work? Like I said, uh, like I- said initially when i had been going out these these years before like i kind of went out with just like kind of like an open mindset of i'm going to experience whatever experience i'm going to collect whatever data that's presented to me in that situation and now that i'm focusing on this nesting behavior and everything like i will i will start off with an idea and that's my goal because a lot of times having multiple goals in one of these trips is just not realistic just with yeah. uh, being able to accomplish things. Um, and, and it's much easier to accomplish a single goal and then get that finished. And then if there's time or the option, then focus on the other, uh, other questions I have. Um, but I'm always asking, you know, the locals and stuff like that when I'm there, if they've seen this or this scenario or have they experienced this or have they heard this or things like that. So, Okay. Lay down the groundwork for the next trip. Yeah. Um, yeah. Keith, yeah. you have a bunch of questions that are all great questions. 
Yeah. Well, what Ari just said, if you think about our trip to Australia, even right. So we're going there and we're just experiencing the habitat and look at how many times we can go and just learn from just walking and experiencing the habitat. Yeah. So like Ari's been doing this for 15 years. I'm sure the first trips that he did there was just that, just to get kind of in tune with the environment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, because like, I'll be, you know, I'll be like thinking it was like, okay, you know, what's the humidity like right now? Or, or I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, I see a new kind of plant I haven't seen, or this temperature seems different this time or something like that. So it's like, you know, I'm constantly observing the environment where I'm around. And like, then I was like walking on the tops of these jagged rocks and I'm thinking to myself, this is a crazy place for a snake to live. Why would a snake want to go up here? I don't want to go up here. So why would a snake, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's like, well, it can, it, it's a way from, you know, it's a protection. It's a super protected area, obviously, because of mm-hmm. the way the, geogra- the geography is formed and everything. But, and it's just not a, uh, not an easily accessed area for most, most things, let alone humans to go. Uh, but I kept thinking to myself when I was looking at this animal, it's like, why are you up here? Like, mm-hmm. what's the reason? You know, like, this is, you see, you must have been getting very close to being, you know, egg, you know, deposit, you know, depositing rather. And, um, it had had to go then. So ran out of time yeah. looking for a nest. Yeah. See, <laughs> ran a little bit of, yeah, um, that's kind of what I was wondering, though, as far as the elevation yeah. and Ari seeing the females up high. Like, Ari, is there less mist cloud cover at the higher elevations than at the lower elevations where the animals are known to inhabit? Like, do they move up to get more sun, um, maybe, versus the lower elevations of their range? Mm, we got the spinning mm. ball of death. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. No. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious too. Uh, that you know, we talked about the African rock python with the babies and staying in the nest for a certain amount of time. I'm wondering if Ari has any thoughts when it comes to that, as far as with how long species. baby bolins might or. Yeah, uh, I mean, if well, if mom is there, we go. Oh yeah. I'm so dead. yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Keith. I don't know. You probably yeah. have to ask that again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you heard that, Ari. I was just wondering if at the the higher elevations where you're seeing the females in the nest, is there any difference in the, the mist cloud cover there than where they're known to be at their lower elevations um, um in their range? It's a little uh, the obviously the the uh, the ultraviolet light exposure is going to be more intense, obviously because you're up higher, um, mm-hmm. and the temperature is a little different. It's a little warmer too, mm-hmm. um, but aside from that, everything else is pretty similar. Um, but it's like I was saying, like I feel I felt like this animal, like this was not a. I mean, obviously it worked for her. That she 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 was brooding her eggs. But it's as far as like like a favorite place, I, I was very surprised. I was I was really surprised that she was right there in that. I was like, but, you know, but so. even even I'm saying even the lower nests that you typically find, you're saying the males may be at even lower elevation. So are the females moving up to to get more exposure to the sun? You think? Um, I don't know. I don't I don't think the males are at lower elevation. I think they're just spread out more. So they are cruising out. They're at the same elevation as the females, but gotcha. they're they're just cruising as opposed to 
you know, waiting. And right. they're just looking for females. I, and that's my that's my theory is they're out and, you know, and, and having multiple animals, you know, hunt down a single female, you know, obviously, I think helps out. Um, yeah. But uh, this cliff nest thing, like there's no way those animals bred up there on that shelf. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, so that's why I was saying, like, I felt like that female bred lower down at the base of that cliff and then was kind of when she left she was looking for a place that you know and that's where she found that that happened to work for her if 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 the females return to the same nesting site year or after year stay close could it be potentially that she may have gotten kicked out of her site because she said she was like a nine foot animal like if she came back to her normal site and somebody was already there I guess it just try to find a new yeah, spot. It's or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. I mean, realistically, we don't know anything about these animals in the wild. Like we're just like, you know, observations at this point with all this, you know, behavior and everything. So it's, it's, you know, it's very, very possible. Like, I mean, I remember one time I found two nests within 20 feet from each other in a lower, in a lower level <laughs> Valley. Um, and, you know, still up in that elevation, but it was in a low, low Valley in that kind of more swampy ish kind of, uh, habitat. Um, mm. and then, you know, I found an animal, you know, I found another nest that was in very close proximity also from one another. So it's very possible that these animals, you know, for whatever reason will leave an area, um, to search out a new nest that they want and it might get kicked out. I don't know. You know, it's, it's a good question. Um, yeah. I hope to have the answer one of these days, you know, the, the, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what we do. That's what they do. Do they have a specific elevation that they don't go below? Um, I have not found anything below 6,500 feet. Okay. Um, but I haven't really looked heavily um, at lower elevations because when I'm with the locals, I say, okay, where did you see the animal? You know? Right. And they always take to this elevation. So right. I, I, I've never gone like low. I mean, because then, and, I mean, it gets cool still down in the lower elevation with it, but it's still. It's just not a favorable, favorable environment, I think. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they could have been there and they just could have migrated, pushed themselves out up further or or deeper in just because of habitat loss or, you know, you know, human encroachment and stuff like that. Yeah. Is there a theory? Do you have a theory as far as like I think of like, you know, uh, sea turtles returning to the nest all yeah. the year after year and, you know, or even the babies returning to where? you know, they were hatched out originally. Is there any thought as yeah. far as that goes? I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I would really like to see them, um, out of the, out of the nest, like, you know, like, like a yearling or something like that. That'd be really mm-hmm. interesting. It really, mm-hmm. be. um, I mean, obviously being able to find it would be so difficult because they just, they just disappear in that vegetation. They're gone. Um, yeah. yeah. so, um, I, I don't know per se. I think it's like, you know, after, you know, after they leave the nest, with the mother, typically after they shed first, uh, they'll leave. And I think they just disperse on their own and they just kind of do their own thing. Uh, and then the females, I think for the most part, I think, I think a lot of the females stay where they're at. Um, and they just reproduce in those areas for however many years they want, or if, for whatever reason, you know, a temperature's not right or something like that, then they seek out another area that's of similar kind of, you know, parameters, um, nest in. Hmm. I mean, when you think about it, that habitat, right. 
the only way you probably see a lot of animals, first of all, is by the nests are obviously clues to find. But otherwise, unfortunately, unless you're developing and clearing land, you know, then then you find everything that's in the area because you're, you're yeah. you know, stripping yeah. the land down yeah. to its essentials. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're but other exactly than that, right. it's not it's not like, Ari, when you and I were walking, I'm like, oh, you're going to find black rat snakes here. It's like wide open yeah. country mm-hmm. and, you know, they're yeah. going to be on the move and they're easy to spot. I mean, where you're at, you literally got to trip over them to find them or find a nest oh. or obviously scat or something yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. And I and I asked um, this new guy that I was uh, that that uh, wanted to help me uh, this new village. And uh, I had asked him, I was like, how I go, how long um, have you been looking? And he's like, oh, he's like, I, I haven't. I, he goes, I just started you know, finding them. And I'm like, well, how long how long have you looked before you found one? He goes, sometimes I'll I'll walk for, you know, I'll spend two months in an area looking um, wow. before I, before I even find one. Um, wow. and then I asked him like, well, what are you looking for? And he, and he tell me about like, you know, the shed and the scat and all that stuff. They've got very, very good vision and they notice really, really small, minute things. So, um, so he, you know, he's wandering around in an area for a month or two before he even finds an animal, you know? That's so crazy. like, exactly like I said, I mean, if you're, if you go there and you bulldoze down everything, you're going to find them, you know, but, yeah. um, but otherwise, and, and that's why I think the males, you know, they, they shack up in a hole or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, some vegetation and they just kind of do their life until it's that season, you know, and then they start searching out for those females and they cue in on all those biological factors and they, you know, find the, find the females. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, <clears throat> is it, is it, am I right picturing him? I mean, the, the, the thought that I have in my head of what this environment looks like is similar to like the Pacific Northwest, like a colder rainforest type of That's environment. Very, very similar to that. Yeah, it's almost okay. almost identical to that. But then in okay, so with that environment, I've never been to the Pacific Northwest, but I'm I'm taking like all the info I know on it and kind of relating it. So bear with me. Mm-hmm. So okay. like in the cooler stages of the day, I would attribute it to be more similar to that. And then you'll have intermittent periods throughout the day where cloud cover will disperse and you'll be hit with really intense light and heat. Mm -hmm. The heat might be only 78 degrees, excuse me, but it feels like you're in the upper 80s just because Mm -hmm. of that. And and, um, and that's solar radiation. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's really okay. intense. That's cool. Wow. Okay. Anything, Keith? Oh, I got so much in my head. Oh, well, then that's why. Right. I mean, <laughs> yes, Keith. That's the I question. Feel, I feel yeah. like Keith is holding back. He has so many questions. Yeah, just head. do he it. Like, it's it. the point of a show. It's yeah. Yeah. don't worry about us. You've been on the show before, Keith. <laughs> like it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, obviously, I would love to go with Ari and just sit there. But I, I, I mean, unless unless Ari can get there for like a year and get out there every day, like think mm-hmm. about it. Like he's gone for 15 years and let's say what well, Ari averaged two, two trips a year, three trips a year, if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So think about how yeah. much he's picked up in in 30 to, to 40 trips going over there you know what i mean yeah. like i mean it's and a huge, still we know nothing <laughs> yeah i mean it's like the, yeah i mean the the trap the, the trip to get there is just so tasking that's the thing yeah. it's just 
know, and it's just not a comfortable, accessible place to stay long. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, and expensive. I mean, you're in a third world country, but it's still expensive. Like, you know, to rent a vehicle to get there, you've obviously got to, you know, I'm always, you know, basically paying my hosts for letting me stay in the village. I'm paying for food for them. Right. So, I mean, which is not a, but it's all, it all factors in there. And then, you know, you're talking, you know, a hike that's an hour, an hour to two hours from the village to where the net or where a snake was and it feels like a three-hour hike because you're climbing terrain that is just not meant to be climbed right. so it's, there's a yeah. lot of different factors in it um i mean i'd love to stay there for a year and just see what i would right. encounter you know right. um but it's just you know, it's just a, it, it's just a difficult environment to stay like long term um on that level you know the, the, yeah, thing that blows, the thing that blows my mind, though, is that even with all the visits there, like Ari hasn't seen like a lot of prey that you could say, oh, there's couscous yeah. left and right. That's got to be what yeah. they're feeding on. It's an assumption. You know what I mean? Like you're, he's not seen and he's there for yeah. 20 days at a clip. You know what I mean? Or even yeah. predators that are preying yeah. on them. It, look at how many times to see me. Like, it just seems like everything just dis- disappears there. But obviously, when Ari's not there, that world is continuing. It's just, it's yeah. just mind-boggling well, it's, to me what all you know, is happening. And a, lot of it, yeah. and a lot of it, too, is the way that these local people interact and move through their environment. They're quiet. They're accustomed to the the terrain. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, when I walk through, you hear me walking through, um, you know, I'm making noises. I'm not as smooth as other people. I mean, I'm a good hiker and I'm a good climber because I've been doing it for so long, but I'm not a pop one, you know? So it's not like Mm -hmm. I'm not walking through these areas without, you know, being seen, you know, more or less. And I think a lot of that attributes to, uh, prey items that, you know, might potentially be there and just be gone i did yeah. see um some birds uh that were outside of a nest uh, in last august uh that the locals you know took opportunity and, and they shot them so they could bring them back to eat them uh and they were right outside the a Boland's area and they would have eaten that for sure um mm. but i've never mm. seen a piece out there i've seen dead ones that have been hunted for dinner um mm-hmm. and I, but i've never seen a live one walking around uh i've never seen any kind of rodents that are there i know they're there um and i've seen some like ground doves before but that was just like a real quick glimpse um hmm. of them too so but but yeah it's like like i said uh, when 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 i'm there like i'm pretty in tune with my environment when i'm there but i'm not a pop one so you know with that being said like you know anything's going to know i'm coming through uh, because it's just not my environment, you know? Well, that that's a really good point because like in, in my rural area, like our, you've been in my, you guys all been in yeah. my, yeah. at my house and there, there's white tailed deer that will walk across my lawn. I'll go out to my car and I literally got to like run after them and, and they're wild deer. Nobody's <laughs> feeding them or anything else, but they're just so damn used to seeing people. But you yeah. take that white tailed right. deer and you go up to Saskatchewan and you go out to try to hunt it and they're like ghosts, like you don't see yeah. nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know they're there. You know, right. and they probably see you about a hundred times, but right. Yeah. So you're you're so they live in an area that don't you know just does not see a lot of human. Um, 
yeah. walking around. So everything, like you say, is in tune to just that, which makes the research just so much harder to do there. Yeah. I mean, it, may, it, it it definitely makes it harder, but it, it makes it a lot more. The challenge is what keeps bringing me back because it's right. like I, I want to seeing like what I might experience this next time or or what, you know, like last August, I had an animal that had um, I was talking to Keith about uh, potentially like combat scars on it. Oh, because it had these big like it had two big gashes on it, either from biting or from spurs. And it looked more like spurs to me. Yeah, um, it looked just like that male that I had the two yeah. males at combat that it was like oh. kind of yeah. wound. And it was really yeah. cool, but it was on a female. So I was wondering, I was like, OK, maybe maybe there was a couple males with her and the males got really excited and they tore her up, mistaking it was the, fe- the male. But I don't right. know, you know. But yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I've yeah. seen like little things like that so it's like you know keep coming back you know i don't know what to expect it's gonna be like you know another like a game changer you know yeah yeah that's cool that's a cool observation yeah doesn't it suck ari that the snakes that we love are on the other side of the side of the goddamn country you know if we all loved rat snakes we'd be so happy (laughs) it's not just like a four-hour flight man it's like it's it's two days three days yeah yeah God. And it's not getting any safer over there for you either, is it? Like, I think the last time you told us it was really dangerous going over there. Oh, it's always dangerous over there. It's just, it's just what, you know, what somebody off or what's, you know, or what drama is going on. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very third world place, you know, it's not, not it's not a dangerous place but yet it is a very dangerous place if you if that makes sense i don't know like it's you know people get kidnapped still there was a bunch of people that were you know uh get, they're talking about kidnapping while i was there and everything like that i'm like oh that's exciting you know and uh i mean it's just like you know and then like everybody's like fighting over something they fight a lot with the mil- the indonesian government so you know it's like a lot of it is like innocent bystander kind of you know catching an arrow or a machete or something like that and then it's right. like, mm-hmm. but it's like yeah, i don't know it's it makes it i mean if it was so easy it wouldn't be everybody fun. would do it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. But, uh-huh. I, you know, I don't my, my wife hates when I say that, though. She's like, nah, not <laughs> but, but it is, it's, you know, it's still very dangerous. I, I mean, I get like I said, I mean, I get contacted by people all the time. They're like, oh, I'd love to carry your bags. I'd love to do this. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm not taking you, man. I was like, I do not want to be held liable for that, you know, yeah. because it's like. Uh-huh. I, I know when I fall out of Ari's grace is when he says, yeah, come to Papua with us. <laughs> we're, we're all far too afraid of Teresa to put you and, in danger. And Frederick. Yes. Yeah, I keep talking to Frederick. Frederick wants to wander around at night, and I'm like, dude, it's not safe, man. He's like, why not? Because you'll fall, and you'll keep falling. I was like, yeah. get the bottom to hold you up. I'm like, you know, it's like, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's like... Well, that's a good question. So you're seeing these animals uh, are when you're going to these spots. Is it specific time all the time? Do you have like a specific so time frame that you see them? I've visited pretty much every month of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like with my well, like with my main focus with this nesting ecology, my my goal is to see animals on that in a nest. So right. my time to go is, you know, November, December, January, you know, you know, a little bit early November, kind of stuff like that. Um, and that's what, that way I can track down the females 
and I can find out who's nesting and see if I have any repeat, you know, repeat snakes that I've seen before. I've had that a couple times, which was cool. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, and then it's just like the, the difficult thing is, it's just like the, the politically everything out there changes, like on the drop of a dime, like with, you know, one week. You know, it's like, oh, it's great. And then the next week they shut down the Internet and nobody's got contact to go in there. And it's like, who knows what's going on? And, oh, wow. you know, then you've got tribal Jesus. law and you've got, you know, locals that are there, but they're not tribal. It's, you know, it's just it's a whole shit show. Usually that's what I usually call it. It's a shit show. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it, you know, obviously uh, we have a question about a carpet python, but <laughs> did you no, ever see I mean, any poplin carpets up that high? I have never seen another snake in the area I have been at. And now it's not to say they're not there. I know scrub pythons can get up there. Um, I've right. just not looked for them, you know. Um, okay. So, so uh, I mean, I've um, I had a, I had a scrub python last year brought to me that was collected cool. down. So uh-huh. uh, that was there. And I and I know they're there. It's just a different it's a different environment to find them in where, than where I'm at. So if that makes, if that answers the question better. Um, yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, like I said, it's, I don't think uh, the carpets are up that high um, in that area, but um, the scrub pythons get up, get up pretty high too with them. So. That's interesting that you would have a scrub and a Bolins be in the same yeah. area because you would well, think that not, they would be really competing. <laughs> area because i mean in the same um i don't know i mean I, I, wouldn't expect to, I wouldn't expect to see one in the habitat where i find a bolens uh, okay. but in the in the region they're there you know i gotcha okay, okay. Yeah. habitat find them in yeah okay yeah well, that's what Timothy just asked. You know, i don't know what's your thoughts when it comes to the idea of bolens sort of being a a Bob big, scrub python. Yeah, big, a different <laughs> scrub. Yeah. Or maybe a basil. Know. Like, I know they, they, you know, they, they went to Somalia because of, you know, morphological, you know, differences, you know, cranial differences, dentition and things like that. And they, they lumped them or they didn't lump them. They put them in with that group with all the scrubs and everything because they're the closest relative. And I see a lot of similarities with them right. over uh-huh. like morphologically, like, how they move and things like that too, um, the size and the sh- the shape of the body and everything. But but there's um, but I honestly haven't worked with scrubs that much to really April similarities with them. Um, I certainly have not encountered wild scrubs in my work to be able to relate it to seeing wild bolens either. So, um, mm, but I okay. I mean if if you want to get down to it, I do think they're more closely related to scrub pythons than they are to anything else. Uh, yeah. If that yeah. But they're but they're a different entity, if that makes sense. It's kind of yeah. like green trees and rough scales, very similar, yeah. different habitats. Obviously, yeah, one's so cooler crazy. than the other. One's, got, <laughs> one's bumpier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One's bumpier. One's got one's bigger bumpier. Teeth. Yeah. yeah, one I love. One I can do without. Yeah. So yeah, it's fine. So, <laughs> so you're studying the nesting ecology. Um, what is your? You know, I don't know what. What's my goal? Yeah. yeah, like what's the long term goal? Yeah, I don't know really. <laughs> um, cool. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, my, I think what my goal would be would be to gain a better insight on their behavior in utilizing nesting as opposed to other large 
you know, pythons in that family that, that don't, that don't use that mm. similar behavior. You know, like I want right. to know why they decide to do that. I want to know what they seek out. Um, I'm starting to understand why they seek it out, but I'd like mm. to know what they're particularly seeking. Um, mm. And I'd like to know how many in like, you know, if there is like a, um, a nesting fidelity with them as far as reutilizing areas in, you know, home territories and things like that, because that would make them even more interesting to me. And, um, and I think that would make it a little um, different than just saying that they're like a type of scrub python, because I don't know, I don't know the, the uh, ecology on scrubs because that's not my focus, but it would be interesting to see, you know, the, or not interesting to see, it'd just be, it'd be, I would like to understand more the specifics on their nesting uh, choices um, mm. and why. Okay, you know if that if that makes if that makes m- more of their reproductive effort and reproductive biology simpler, then that's really interesting, and I want to know yeah. why. Yeah. Is there? Do you have a theory as far as, or I don't know. I, I've kind of like not followed the captive breeding side of things when it comes to bowens, but is it? Is it similar to say like a, a varanid where you know they won't lay eggs if their nest isn't a specific? Do you have any theories nope. as far as that goes? Like that they have to I, have specific? You know, I I don't know. Like I've seen a lot of like recently. There's been you know fortunately there's been some successes again in the U.S. Yeah. which is great. Yeah, um, awesome for these guys. Um, the um, but like I don't know necessarily if. In a captive situation, if the nesting plays a significant role or not, where mm-hmm. you've because the biggest issue that we find with captive animals is just being able to get an animal to ovulate to become gravid. So right. I feel like if the animal is gravid and has eggs and is developing eggs, then it's going to basically find a nest at some point sooner or later. It's going to have to work to be able to deposit those eggs um, in, in yeah. a cap setting. But as opposed to the wild, I find it different. I think in the wild, I think there's a lot of different factors. Um, uh, and, and those could relate into captivity as well. I mean, like, I think, I think providing necessary things that are a necessity with captive success, like providing nesting access from the beginning uh, before you're even introducing animals or, you mm-hmm. know, in the basic, basic structuring of husbandry, like you're housing anything like that. I think having a nesting area is very important. Um, mm-hmm. But it, the whole thing of itself is, is interesting. So, yes. So, so I wonder are you, if, if I could yeah. just jump in. Sorry, Eric. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You're good. Eric, why the, we have the, you, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> the, the net, you know wild nests, Eric, from carpet pythons, let's say. I know you guys look at a lot of pictures like of stuff in the wild. Yeah. But what sure. Ari shows me of bowling python nests to me seems so different in the fact that like it's literally like a snake inside of a crocodile nest. Like it, 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 it seems, it seems like there's contact all the way around. Like it, he literally has to dig them out to even get a glimpse yeah. of the snake and an egg, half an egg. And the, and the rest of the picture is just substrate packed all around the animal. Like, have you seen that in any other yeah. wild python, uh, Eric? No, no, not no, not, not where it's like, like that. No, completely... so I think that's what Ari's saying. Like the nest is so unusual for that python compared to what other species of python. Yeah. Like why why is that? You know? Yeah, and, and a lot of it I don't I don't know. Like 
you know, I know with um, a lot of a lot of uh, snake reproduction, Quessel uh, told me there's a, a term he uses for, like, called contact security. And uh, and I really like that term because mm-hmm. it makes that animal feel it's like where you'd feel, you know, um, comfortable in a room. If the room was like, you know, you're not claustrophobic because it, or the opposite of it, rather, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, you're in a room and there's nothing to keep you feeling, you know, safe, you know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, with a uh, contact security there, it allows that animal to feel secure um, and focused on what its job is. So it doesn't feel like it's going to be uh, exposed to, to anything. Um, and a lot of times it's just like a hole, maybe two or three inches, and then the animal's in it. And then just push out <coughs> that indention in the side. Um, uh, Dintention. I don't think I butchered that word. Dintention. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> whatever. And, um, and then it basically creates that really tight chamber. And, and even um, I was talking to Frederick about it. Uh, the, the eggs, wild eggs, look so different than captive eggs, too. Um, yeah, which I was is, saying that in the last oh, pictures you sent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you have that one, Keith. I can. That's so cool, though. I love how they're packed in there because that, you know, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me with some of the bigger stuff like in Africa. Cause I know we were looking at the, the rock python and it seemed pretty packed in there, but I cool. think that's just because of the sheer size of yeah. that animal. It's like try to find that thing, a crevice where it doesn't look like it's jammed in there. Yeah. I will uh, say this. Like, I will say this about real quick. It just made me think of this. The reason that I switched to paper towel rolls for, um, for carpet python hides hides. is because of that reason right because i noticed like i don't know i think i was talking to rob about this and he was saying about how snakes like to feel you know like their security you know is like if they're touching all sides of their hides whereas like some of those hides are like i don't know when i was first getting into snakes you'd have this big ass hide because you'd want to have all this room and it would you know it's like this tiny snake in this big ass hide but they use that a lot to where yeah. they're just jammed in there. Obviously, they're not, you know, these are small snakes and stuff. So they're not um, necessarily, uh, you know, doing that for breeding or anything. But maybe maybe it, there is a sense of security with that. That uh, Oh, yeah. I think it's business. more of a critical role than we think um, with, uh, with a lot of different species, honestly. Um, I'm trying to find a picture of some of this, uh, environment, um, uh, scanning my hard drive. Oh, and can you Sorry. put that picture up of the marshmallows? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. The dirty marshmallows, the dirty marshmallows, bro. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what those are. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they really do look like a marshmallow with that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ari's research is how many animals can he boop while he's out in the wild? Like I you know what I love that. That's yeah, they even look different, you know. Yeah. Um as far as that I, I, I would say that like so I started with my cages and, and my animals with like a ten gallon tough tote, which yeah. was for like my giant carpets that I never should have gotten that giant. And as my animals have gotten smaller because I've gotten smarter. I have gone down in size as far as um, hide box. And I mean, having an adult white lip cram itself into a box and that's where she laid the eggs is really helpful. So I I think that contact thing is totally true in wild and captive. I I completely agree. It it makes the animal feel so much more safer and secure in that 
in that, you know, environment that, that we're providing. And, you know, and, and a lot of times I, I did that too, when I first started, um, you know, I put it in there and I'm like, you know, hey, whatever. But I found that, you know, obviously I hadn't gotten, I have not been fortunate enough to reproduce them. Hopefully one of these days. Um, and, but I feel like having a smaller nesting box out because it allows that to feel more secure in that environment. Go on. Yeah. So how would you describe the substrate in the nest material, moisture, et cetera? So if you can see on that last picture, I think there was a picture you guys posted up. Um, yeah. It's um, right now it's there's um, like the cleanest type of soil and root matter. Uh, that's the actual outside of the nest. Uh, or that right, you see the yeah outside of there so you can see like all the root and it's just like fiber broken down leaf litter uh it's just really clean uh very uh the smell is just like this wonderful earthy smell to it it's not damp but it clumps up in your hand when you squeeze it so there is hmm. moisture in it um but it's like a peat kind of uh like almost like a thicker peat kind of feel to it if that makes sense yeah gotcha that um what is it uh, that that cocoa fiber the cocoa yeah. husk fiber yeah that repti chip <laughs> no the stuff that comes in a brick that you wet and yeah. it just expands like crazy yeah it's yeah. like moss with like some thicker texture and consistency to it i mean it's just it's perfect it smells so good i mean it's like the freshest you know it's like it's, you know it's, that's the way i can describe it it's awesome you know, <laughs> the best dirt ever. <laughs> the best dirt ever. Yeah. Um, Timothy here was asking, um, what other reptile species do you encounter when you're looking through these holes at higher elevations? So, like, on... like, um, I I have never really came across any other reptiles in this environment because I haven't really looked for them. Um, mm. and and I'm pretty good at observing stuff while I'm out in the field being you know, a herper, like we key on like the slightest movement and we like, look at it, you know, it's like, Oh, what's that? You know, you know? and, um, th- this last time when we were walking out of this, on top of this cliff, there was a, uh, Hypsilurus papuensis. It's a type of lizard uh, that I'd never seen there. And it's a large sized lizard. It was probably about six or seven inches long. And that was like right by the nest, which was cool. So that was the first uh, lizard I've encountered aside from little ground skinks um, in the area. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. You go lower in elevation, you know, uh, you know, pop with death adders. Uh, they're they're but they're pretty significantly lower. They're, they're not up that high in elevation. So. Gotta love digging around where there could possibly be death adders. You know, just go a little <laughs> bit higher before you start digging around. Yeah, let's let's Pretty not do that. <laughs> just... We're worried about the, there's a big rat supposed to be there too that I have not. They said it's the size of a cat, and I really want to see it because um, I don't know what it is. Because I'm on my trips in last, last August, I saw these like I was coming down. Um, it was like kind of it was just like this really incredible scene, like coming down over this over this cliff going down into this valley and like it just kind of looked out higher i saw these like little little teeth in a while on the ground they were probably maybe like i don't know like inches or basking them they said they were traps and i'm like well, what are you trapping they said there's a rat that lives around here that we like to eat if we can catch it like uh-huh. really how big is it? 
oh, it's the size of a cat. I was like, wow. I was like, okay. I was like, not a coosie. And they said, no. So there's a big rat there I'd like to see. Um, Probably something different. Yeah, it would be something different. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, Did did I get all the questions? Yeah, yeah, I think so far. Others others will pop up. Um, hey, you know what I was wondering, um, our, uh, Eric, like when we're in Australia, like, are do you run in when you're still in town? Let's say, do you run in to anybody that may be like a birder or somebody looking for plants or anything like oh, yeah. else that is being for in that same area that you're in? So I have historically, I have come into contact with people that were um just trekking there uh in some bird stuff once aside from that i have not run into any other people there looking for animals um which i mean it's just not a comfortable place in general uh, to go um but uh, i mean people do go there obviously they go trekking because there's some real famous um trails to go that are like multiple day trip trick traps so, um, but, um, I have not, I mean, one time I ran into a birder that was there with a, like a, a portering group or something like that. And they were looking for birds or something, but aside from it would that, be cool, I, it'd be cool to pick their brain. Like if you could run into yeah. somebody that, you know, is studying, I mean, there's gotta be other psychos out there like you that want to yeah. go to the area yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. and, and, and study that giant that. rat or something like, it would be cool to yeah. pick their brain, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. So a lot of it too is it's just like it's just very difficult and like very inaccessible in some of these places too. So not a lot of people go there now, even though people are trying to go there. Like I had somebody reach out to me that wanted to do eco trips there, and I'm like, I wouldn't recommend that. And they're like, Well, why not? I'm like, Well, it's not safe. And they're like, Well, I'm used to traveling, you know, in really remote areas, blah blah blah. And I was like, Well, that's fine, but you know, there's a lot of kidnapping, there's a lot of you know killing still going on. There's things like that that are prevalent day day to day. Even the locals won't even go into the mountains sometimes because of it. So it's right. like you know, you know, you're limited with a lot with so much out there. Um, so a lot of people, I I feel. Uh, take that as a deterrent, which is a, is a good thing because, you know, you don't want to risk having an issue like that, especially if you bring a group of more than two people out there. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got an outsider that shows up into town. Everybody know about it because there's somebody different. So right. a group of people coming in, everybody and their mother's going to know about it, you know, so it's like, no, that was the reason it's so hard to learn anything. Yeah. Yeah. I have to I have to go total uh geek on you but like what's your snake pit like when you're out <laughs> looking for uh, kit like kit, you know like kit, the herping the herping kit the the, yeah. the herp bag yeah you got a notebook you got a temp gun you got it's funny somebody asked me that today so I have a uh, 60 liter hiking uh, internal frame pack that I carry um, and I've got a satellite phone in it. I got a medic pack in it, uh, because it can be tricky to find like medicines in some of these areas, let alone stuff that's equivalent to what we can get. So that's like sure. one of my big ones. Uh, I've got a really nice solar power, uh, power bank that I use to charge up, you know, my phone if I need it or any, you know, my headlamps, I really bring a couple headlamps with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't bring any snake equipment or like hooks or anything like that. Cause I don't need them. Um, right. sure. I, venomous where i'm at um you know a 
couple pairs of jeans, you know, a couple shirts, lots of socks, uh, you know, and some, you know, some flip flops. And, and that's pretty, pretty much it, you know, and then my camera, um, you know, um, I do have a, a, a high, uh, like a camel pack that I use sometimes. Uh, and, and that's pretty much it. It's not really exciting. Um, yeah. I don't have anything special or secret or anything I bring with me, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just of think money. of like how I yeah how I pack yeah. differently for like a trip in the U.S. herping as opposed to when I'm going to Australia. You know, it's just you're and you're not even really that remote. A, a you know? Yeah, I mean you're really remote, so it's like yeah. what I'm thinking in my head right now. It's like what else do I have? Oh, I've got like all my UV meters and my solar meters, radiation okay. meter. Um, the I've got weather stations. I bring me. Uh, I have pH meters I bring sometimes. Um, I have a couple notepads to take notes with me. Um, trying to think what else. Rain, my, my poncho, my sleeping bag, because I sleep out there. Um, and you put some da- data loggers out too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I, I did data loggers also. I didn't put anything out this time because it was a new area. Uh, but I will on the next, my, my return trip, I'll bring out a data logger and see how it compares. Uh, to these other places, but it's, it's not like a real crazy, I mean, it's nothing glamorous or, you know, fancy or anything like that, or it ain't bare grills or anything like that. You know, it's just, you know, just, you know, <laughs> you know my comforts. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have. Uh, no, that's about it. Yeah. It's, it's not a lot. Okay. Minimal, minimal. Okay. I like yeah. it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Travel light. making fun of me because no, well, they're saying uh, no coffee making apparatus. Yeah, <laughs> I have an inflatable mattress. You know, a, a car jack. I bring jump starter kit. You know, big screen. <laughs> the essentials. Um, yeah. Look it up. Um. All right. We did have a question. Um. Here's a question that has to do with uh, Boland's being bred. Has has who successfully is there something that all the people that had success? Well, I don't even know how many people had success. Yeah, um, but um, do they have something in common that contributed to their success? Do you For guys breeding know? in captivity? Oh, that is a question there that we've all been wanting to know. <laughs> yeah, um, what's the secret? There have been uh, what. Are, what are we up to now, Keith? What's um, I know Frederick was what five times. Frederick uh, did five times. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's there's more successes now than than when you and I started yeah. our journey together for sure. And to I me, it Hunter seems like widespread. yeah, you got um, Scott, and, and, and then um, Scott uh, Flood just reproduced successfully for his second clutch and then his friend mark uh i forget mark's last name but he's in close proximity to i think they're like north dakota he produced another clutch also so there's two clutches that have been produced in the last two years from these two gentlemen but they also have a really large a large group of animals um that they're utilizing multiple multiple with their animals, which is a, a, a great idea. Um, Aside from uh, Frederick, it seems that a lot of the people that have been successful have uh, a larger group than normal of bowling pythons. Yeah. Um, Frederick yeah, is we, kind of the exception to the rule. 
Yeah, Frederick did it with a single single pair multiple times, and then different pairs, but they're single pairs multiple times also. So that scenario is definitely different on his on his plane, and I don't know what he did or has done. I don't know if he knows honestly mm. uh, what yeah. it is. But uh, I've I've spoken to Scott. He's a very nice guy, and it, he, it was very successful these last two years, which is great. And his friend Mark, um, and they've been uh, Scott's been very um, uh, helpful at sharing information with his captive stuff. Um, yeah. And he's been utilizing multiple males in his breeding scenarios with a single female, and then rotating males through that female and stuff. But like I said, he's got a large large group of animals, so. Um, he's able to to do that, but it's not to say yeah. that's the way to do it. It just seems to be proving more prevalent in in his situation as well as Mark's. I, I feel like it's a numbers game where it's like yeah. this this female might this male might be the one to breed, and if you only have one male and he doesn't want to breed, it, yeah, kind of you're you're, you're sure. even yeah. even easier to breed species like blood pythons when I, when I had like fifty breeders. You know, there would be animals that you really wanted to go and and they just wouldn't go. But you had 15 other animals that would. So you look like you were super successful because you had (laughs) so many animals. But in reality, you know, you were hitting and missing even on these easier to breed species. You know, I'm almost double digits in white lips. (laughs) That's how I'm going to do it. (laughs) Also, too, is with um, I totally forgot what I was going to say with these um, animals is, like I said, these these large numbers um my god i totally based out what i was going to say there um, oh i know what it was um we actually we've never been able to reproduce or we've never bred to my knowledge and i'm pretty sure i'm accurate on this there has never been a captive produced controlled environment animal bred with another captive bred controlled environment animal too so example if never had Captive produced animals from the U.S. breed together to see if there's any kind of elimination of issues, like kind of like how back in the day when people were trying to breed condros, remember how difficult that was yeah. in like mm-hmm. diamond and such. You know, they had to breed out that almost wild kind of tendency yeah. or whatever you might call it. So we've never had true captive bred animals being bred together to see if a one-on-one breeding scenario would be, you know, successful. Uh, I think we're five. To, yeah, I think we're five to ten years away from seeing them a lot more available and um, yeah. seeing that breeding, captive breeding, getting easier. That would be cool yeah. to see these here's like F twos, F threes, and stuff like that. Here's yeah. just a an idea. I, I, I'm it's just sort of formulated in my head, so it's not really a question, but I'm just curious of what you guys think about this. Okay. Diamond pythons come from a cooler environment, similar to like what you're saying with the, you know, with the um with the Bolins. You say the males are always on the move. They're leaving the females are leaving the the sheds and the scat outside. Hopefully those males are picking up on the pheromones and, and finding out those females. Do you think or have you heard any stories of mating balls similar to like I think of garter snakes? I think of diamond pythons were in these cooler environments. That's an expensive um, ball. I can't tell you like how many times I've seen this, especially this year, more so than any, maybe it's just because people in Australia are just sending me more pics, but mm. like uh, a breeding ball on their steps in their barn in their, you know, in, in the park. It's just like, I don't know. What's your thoughts? Well, so it's interesting you should say that Eric. Cause like, I remember initially when I was working like 
you know, a number of years ago, I had thought of that scenario like the garter snake breeding masses, you know, like these mm-hmm. huge where you've got like one really fertile female and you've got 20 males that are just combating over her, crawling all over her and getting the scenario. I thought mm-hmm. so that's a good possibility. So I've asked a lot of these locals. They do say that they see multiple males following females during breeding season. So that could mm-hmm. that could go to show that that is a very strong possibility with what happens. You know, mm-hmm. that there's multiple animals that are breeding with a single animal in the wild. And that would also um, go and uh, benefit, uh, you know, Scott and Mark's successes where they're utilizing multiple animals too in their right. scenario as well. Um, but I, I always am like hesitant with, you know, when I'm comparing a wild situation versus a captive situation, because right. we're ultimately controlling our parameters in captivity as opposed to nature where it's doing it naturally. And obviously we're, we're, we're trying to learn what the natural stimulus is in, in everything. Uh, so we're trying to relate that to captivity. But I always think of it as a little bit different because we're trying to alter certain things. But I'm, I'm very excited to see, because um, I know Scott and Mark, are, I'm sure, will be breeding up or raising up uh, uh, some of these animals. And, and trying to breed them uh, together to see, you know, if if it if it pans out, like where you can do a one to one ratio as opposed to doing, you know, you know, four or five to one or two to one or something like that, you know. Right. There, there's always that rumor of some species need the competition of another male in the area of yeah. like, you know, like people always get one point one olive pythons and they can't get them to go, but then when they get that second male is when they get the eggs. And I'm not sure if that's just because olive pythons don't fit in the norm of four-year-old female, two-year-old male eggs, and they seem to take longer to mature. So, I, but well, olive pythons, in my opinion, are a whole other ball game. I mean, that's a, I mean, they're such a cool snake, but they're like, you know, I've, I've, I've had my, I've had my fair share of, you know, olivaceous work. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'll stick to Poland's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. Um, but, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. But the, um, I, I think, I think in that scenario, like I think compatibility plays a huge factor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in an environment that's weather parameters are so cool, you know, it might benefit having a, a you know, for lack of a better term, an orgy to basically, stimulate yeah. follicular growth or development or pheromones yeah. males sperm to start moving the way it should or you know things like that i mean there's so many different you know scenarios that we could talk about with it but i definitely think that could play a huge factor uh with with success um i mean they they, they are not a rare species in the wild they reproduce multiple times and they reproduce every year um, so that is not a problem. It's just we have issues with them in captivity. Yeah. You know, now we're able to keep them alive as opposed to, you know, back in the 70s and 80s where everything came in and, you know, would drop dead in a week. You know, now we're able to raise up these babies and in, 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 incorporate them into breeding scenarios and we're starting to have success. With them. So like what Keith said, I think we're 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 still out, but we're getting much closer. Um, yeah. Where we- yeah, when you when you think of multiple males too, think think of the options, right? So let's say somebody in captivity is gonna try two males with your female. It's still totally different than multiple males in the wild because yeah. I found out that the dominant male just blows that little male off. Now in the yeah. wild you have four males working that female. 
the males can't bully up on one male and drive them off. You know what I mean? Because there's mm-hmm. two other, many other males. Or do you play it? One male breeds, you yank them out, you throw another male in and they're worked up and they breed. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of different set. You can't just say multiple males. There's a lot of different facets to that equation yeah. also. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, I think, too, you know, isn't the garter snake situation where like um, she actually doesn't she like like seal up her cloaca or something? The the male will plug it after he successfully breeds. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Because you don't want anybody else getting in there. (laughs) It's all about about survival of the fittest. Right. Just like those skinks that we saw in Australia that literally (laughs) just raped the female. The female can't get away. But if you have if you have these males, right, the strongest one is going to be the one that gets to breed with the female. She's testing them. They're testing each other. And and she's going to allow the strongest animal to pass on the strongest genes. Exactly. I I think, too. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. It, it's also probably positive stimulating her having all that interaction in the, mm-hmm. the, the male smells and the, the spurring and all that and the flipping and the turning and all that things, too. You yeah. know, that, you know, it's causing it's just like saying, hey, it's time to breathe. This is this is what's going to happen, you know. And that way that, you know, you might have two larger males doing that and you have one sneaky little male that's the viable one, you know, pops on in there when those other two males are wrestling. You know, it's, you know, it's it, there's a lot of different scenarios that could play out. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder, too, if it's like one of those uh, why while the. You know, sometimes if I think this was a, a similar to a, I saw this with sea turtles where like they get too busy fighting and then one sneaks in and does, you know, yeah. <laughs> sneak <Yeah>. mating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so here's an interesting question from Robert. Uh, what do the local people tell you about Bull and I? So they see them, they see them there as a, definitive fixture of the environment without a doubt i mean every local knows what they are if they live in the mountains they know what that snake is um there is a a lot of folklore and um ethnographic kind of relationship in Mm -hmm. in different you go to some of them you know obviously see the animal as a food source not in the area where i'm at uh, some of the animals are seen as like a deity, like a god type figure or a protector of the forest, um, you know, a bearer of bad news or a bringer of good fortune. So there, there's a lot of mysticism involved with them, as well as belief um, in, in different you know, beliefs of these animals and, and how they're they're portrayed, depending on which region you're at or if you're on the west portion of the island, on the eastern portion of the island, or if you're in a different remote area and, and vice versa. So, yeah, it's, it's a very known animal uh, as far as what it is and, and uh, it, it, its influence in, in, in a lot of the, the, the culture there. Okay, That's cool. Ari's got some really cool artwork that he brings back from over there. And, and Eric, we got to start doing that with Australia. Bring some of that. Dude, I, 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 yeah. I, well, I'm already waiting for you guys to go again because I'm going to send money to Keith. I'm, I want a saltwater <laughs> crocodile skull. Yeah, like, that was crazy. You know, the fact that we didn't get those like when this, we were in Darwin, I hate it. 
yeah. I keep collecting books and stuff rather than buying more snakes. Well, no, I, I keep buying snakes. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> so. I would bring the bag with me because I'm always bringing art back. I mean, that's yeah, it's awesome. very cool. He's got some cool stuff. Aside from you know being absolutely in love and infatuated with Bolin's pythons, my other infatuation is oceanic art. So like I love collecting all that, you know. And I'm I'm just fortunately I have a museum here at the zoo that I can display it. Also, my house. Is <laughs> I feel like that's worse now. You're like cool. I got a spot for it. Yeah, it's like oh, <laughs> it spot on the wall. What am I going to put there? I know. You know. <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> I know you've talked about this before, but. Um, Here's Chris. He's asking. I always wonder what it's like about the food in these wild locations. So, are like, you fat? As yeah. what I'm eating or what the animals are eating? What you no, no, no. Eating. What you're eating? Yeah. Okay, so, so everything that you bring, you've got to basically carry up uh, to the village, and then from the village, obviously, where the where you're going to look for the animals. They're a couple hours or whatever, but village is usually about anywhere for an hour to two hours hike uh, to get in. So it's really remote in there. And um, so what I usually end up eating is a lot of rice, a lot of noodles, uh, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, potato vine, um, stuff like that. Uh, very rarely do I eat meat in any of the villages. It's not to say they don't, but it's not a, not as common. I mean, they save that for special situations. They all have pigs and everything, but you know, it's very rare that I've, I think I've eaten, I think I've eaten a pig once in the entire 15 plus years I've been going there. And that was in a village and it was like a big ceremonial. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's a lot of like rice and potatoes and vegetables and, and, and noodles like that too. So, okay. Yeah. Which I like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the McDonald's up there is no good. Like a drive. This is right? a great joke yeah. because that I wanted to set up a hot dog stand out there and I'd make a million dollars. What is it like? conditioning back as far as food goes i mean i imagine that like, you, you clear your system oh, out I, I like within maybe about up until about five days ago i've been like shit my brains out like you're so used to like so like we eat really dirty you know in the u.s because there's so many preservatives and chemicals and all that crap that's yeah. never you know, our body's accustomed to it. So when you go over there, everything is straight, like from the ground or there's nothing added to it. So it's like plain rice, you know, plain noodles, a sweet right. potato thrown outside. There's no preservative preservatives in there. So when I get back, I usually have the worst gas on the planet. And yeah. then I, I've got to get my guts back in order. Uh, you know, it usually takes me about a week or so, you know, slowly, conditioning to myself to eating things that are what I'd be eating here in the States um, because I've been eating, you know, other stuff too. And also like when I'm in Indonesia, I usually spend about four or five days in Indonesia just to kind of decompress and okay. uh, kind of relax and stuff like yeah. that. And I mean, I'm eating a lot of noodles and local dishes and stuff there too, a lot of spices and chili. So it doesn't help my, you know, bowels when I get back. So, but yeah. I'm curious, do you feel, does your, does your body feel different when you were there as opposed yeah, to you feel, what? feel a lot lighter? Yeah, um, okay. your uh, sleep is better. Mm. Uh, you get up without being groggy. Yeah. Um, even 
after like hiking, like, I mean, I'll go hiking and I'm like basically dragging myself back to the hut to lay down and then I'll lay down and I'm like back up in another hour and I'm like, all right, let's go. You know, it's like, so your energy level is much different, uh, you know, than being in the States and stuff like that from just brat. Yeah, I, I, I just I've have done this that. firm belief that, like, you know, we're putting crap into our bodies and wondering why we feel like shit. Hell yeah! <laughs> so, so when somebody experiences that, you know, they always wonder. Listen, it's... the Doritos are fine. Let's just move on from that. <laughs> we don't need to keep attacking such things. But I will also say, the ice break coffees are. I mean, are okay, listen, Owen, that, 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 those, that, I don't care what was in the ice break coffee. It was delicious. Mm. But, I drink. I drink coffee already every day. But when I'm over there, I drink lots of coffee because you know it's like we do now yeah oh yeah we sit down and we drink coffee like four or five times a day yes oh, all right, all right. I'm yeah, in heaven. in heaven yeah do <laughs> <laughs> like, so make oh, that's that's great but does I mean, it taste good oh yeah. <laughs> so just like, yeah yeah I, I will say that like you know on herping trips you stumble in and you crash at like two a.m. and Rob Stone is like we will be up at 5 a.m. because we need to get to the next place <laughs> and it's like any other time I would come up and I would be like I'm kill me but like because you have this adrenaline that we're going to go to a new place and check out a new thing you know you sit bolt upright and Eric slept in the corner like this like a vampire and yeah so it was you kind of you kind of it jazzes you up that way too so yeah definitely yeah, it's uh I, I think well obviously my my trips so far haven't been as ex- as extraordinary as yours have been but like I I'm sim- in a similar vein of like thought with trying to understand carpet pythons like for instance like my thing is everybody talks about these areas where they integrate I'd like to go there just to see them for myself and you know observe them and sort of you know take what I know about carpets and sort of apply it to that same same type yeah. of thing but um I mean yeah, if so, you if you want the same experience the next time we're on a trip Keith and I can put a bag over your head zip tie you and put you in the trunk <laughs> is that what you want like I mean it's uh, right. we can do it we're, we're supposed to insert a shameless NPR coffee plug here Owen that Shit, uh, our carpets um, and coffee blend is from Papua New Guinea yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> so. Oh God. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to send you a bag, Ari. All right. I'm the like, deal. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yes, free I'll coffee. Cool. Hey, I'm a coffee. <laughs> wife and I are coffee every morning. So yep. cool. Hundred yep. percent. So okay. Um, Keith, put us back on track. Give us a yes, bowling. Talk question. about bowling, right. Keith. <laughs> so Ari, you've been going for 15 years. Yes, sir. And you're 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 roughly in the same area most of the time. Have you seen the area change because of human encroachment compared to when you first started going? That's a depressing question. Yeah. I don't want to know. Yeah, <laughs> do wanna know. Yes, very very much so. Um, areas like it, just like the villages keep getting pushed further and further back, but mm-hmm. their access to the villages keep getting easier and easier. So like roads now, like we were hiking on this road, we were hiking up the side of this mountain for like an hour and a half to get to this village. And they told me, it was like, oh, well, when you come back next year, uh, this will all be paved road for the truck. And I'm like, mm-hmm. really? They're like, yeah, we've got, uh, they're, so they're moving it like habitat loss is a huge factor up there, not just for Bolins, but just for, you know, preserving 
any like, you know, just tribal life is like, you know, like I was talking to him, uh, uh, an old friend of mine that, that was in New Guinea in the 70s. And uh, we were talking about how, like, it's so cool to see, like, traditional attire, like penis gourds and, you know, like women have their breasts exposed and they've got their their grass skirts on and everything. It's very tribal. I didn't see any of that this time. And I was far out. I didn't see anybody wearing traditional attire That's at all. Sad. Yeah. That's so sad. like quickly being, you know, changed to a Western world, you know, I mean, they might own a shirt and a pair of shorts, you know, but, you know, they're still wearing a shirt and a, sh- and a pair of shorts, you know, as opposed to, you know, a grass skirt or a, a, a koteca or something like that. You know, it's so it's, it, you know, it was a, it was a surprise. And there was an old guy that I'd always seen, and I was wondering if he was there this time. I see him every time I'm there and he always like dresses down whenever he sees like a, like a, a foreigner come through, he always dresses down to try to take a photo with him. I didn't see him there at all this time. So I was wondering where he was, but um, I didn't mm. see any attire at all uh, where I was at. Wow. And, and, and the area that the bull and I actually live in is, is that able to be developed or is it just too sheer of cliffs and oh no they'll pull those right through that that stuff I mean, just black and do whatever, right? Right. i mean because in new guinea in, in itself like in, there, there's so many like precious metals and mines there like you know they're mining gold mm. copper steel you know um there's all the uh, what's the new thing there uh i forgot um i heard something about um the material that they use for the teslas um now, like platinum kind of stuff, yeah. Mines now, and I guess Indonesia has one of the largest platinum mines or something. It's, it's like crazy. So they've got like serious, serious equipment that's brought in, and, and they'll just bulldoze sections out. Like, there's no problem. Yeah, and the, the mining that they use for that kind of stuff, like it, it's not just like dig a hole, it's nah. tear down a mountain, put yeah. that mountain through water, and then add chemicals that suck all the gold out and it, oh yeah it, it's just destroying environment yeah it's not a uh, developers shit we just saw that in florida in the uh like in the uh pine forest it was oh, really it, it yeah, just getting developed i mean just it's just just cleared and it's you're just like what the hell like mm. holy shit you know um you know i mean there's been areas that i like as a um, some of the places I've been before, like they're very developed now. Um, or mm-hmm. like, I, or like, like I remember on one of my trips, like that was just like this ungod, godly hike. It was like a six or seven hour hike in, and it was like the most brutal environment I've ever had to, I'll never it terrible, but, and, and that area now is all paved and you can drive through with a truck. No problem anymore. And it's like, I remember walking, hills i just like i'm like i was walking through the mud on these hills holding on branches so i wouldn't slide down the cliff and now it's just paved you know it's wow paved. that's well, crazy i mean now my concern is that are we going to start seeing more i mean i imagine the environment getting torn up as one but now you have a the problem of a road and how many doas did we yeah. see in australia and other places it's like that's another fact there that's it. say that too i've never seen a doa on any of the roads I've been at, okay. um, I've never seen anything dead on the road, really. So, yeah, that's good. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, have you noticed any standing water or running water near the nest? How are they staying hydrated? 
Yeah, so I uh, on a lot of these areas, like uh, typically, so like all these prior nests uh, that I've been visiting for all these years and everything. There's always it's almost kind of like this. I call it like a highland bog, you know. It's like you know, it's always like standing water everywhere that, that helps create this like perfect humidity humidified environment. Mm. Uh, and snakes can go out of the nest and far and, and you know not a far distance from outside the nest, but they're also you know they can cruise around in, in close proximity. So there is there is water close by uh, there's also streams that run through it rains at least once or twice a day so water runs down through all this limestone in mm-hmm. in areas so there's places for these animals to drink so uh i mean they're probably okay. dehy- i've never seen a dehydrated snake i've seen a super skinny snake um after she just got done laying eggs i saw that and she was like really skinny um but uh, I've, that's, I've never seen a di- dehydrated animal at all. I remember that animal, yeah. Mm. Oh, awesome. Ari's actually uh, tested the water there, too, to see if there's anything unusual with the minerals and all that kind of yep. stuff, uh, see anything was different. Yep. Sent me out some equipment to do that. So, and, yeah. uh, and, Is it uh, acidic? It was, it was really, a real acidic, uh, which yeah, wasn't a cool. surprise to me just because of you know all that vegetation and i mean it's such a volcanic area you know like, you know the limestone and everything it's like the water's the water's really really pristine you know in certain areas you know i you know i would drink i have drank it that's how i got dysentery unfortunately uh, <laughs> oh no <laughs> i didn't drink I, I drink it differently i was stupid um i think I told you that one time. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> people survive not true are you are you said if you're not war- walking on the limestone, walking on on the uh, forest litter is basically like walking on a giant sponge. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of these places, it's like a big sponge, um, and it's like it, you know, it's just like all these cool like mosses and lichens everywhere. And there's some of the area like I've walked down into these like just, like soilish, muddy a bog essentially um and uh okay. yeah so i I've, I've walked in some that it's it's really a cool habitat and you know, i've seen my favorite nests to find are the ones that are like not low elevation it's not a good interpretation they're all at the same elevation ones that are not on the cliffs or or a cliff type nest because like i really i really can get a idea of 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 Encompassing everything that that animal's utilizing in that spot, as opposed to like a small fragment on a cliff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if when, I wonder if when these animals are on the move, are they in the substrate or are they on top of the substrate? Being that the substrate is so loose, if they're not on the rocks, are they actually crawling through the substrate or on top of the substrate? You know, I think the adults are crawling on top of it, and I think the babies and the young ones are going through it. Hmm. Their skin yeah. is so waterproof, mean, right? Mm. When you try misting yeah. them, it just beads up like yeah. a freshly waxed car. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like babies, I mean, I think the babies just disappear right away through the vegetation and everything. They're gone. But, and I think they're going down into it because obviously they'll have an abundance to eat really small prey items down there, like little lizards, little frogs, things like that. And then the adults, obviously, you know, there's nothing that's going to be you know, affecting their survival per se, except for humans or, you know, like uh, maybe one of the new eagles, if it was a real big one and it was a small snake. Um, but aside from that, I, th- I think they're just, you know, do their thing and they go over it all. 
I don't think we've ever asked this question, but I'm curious, you know, Bowen's baby start off red, similar to like a lot of pythons over there. Do you have any theories? Why are they, is it something to do with the environment? Yeah. So my theory with it is the, the soil there is really rich iron Mm -hmm. and it gives off almost like a brown reddish color to it from all that vegetation and particles or whatnot in, into the soil and everything like that. And I think that basically attributes to helping the animal camouflage um, mm. in a way because okay. like the soil looks just like a baby bones in a way. And that's just an idea. I'm not saying that's, you know, you know, I'm going to see a bunch of things. Oh, sure. they're, they're like the soil. Now. <laughs> <laughs> the soil's really rich in iron and it, it has this reddish brown chocolate color to it. Um, and I think that, uh, allows the babies to, to camouflage really well, um, into those spots. Well, I guess if you were to think of, uh, in the carpet Python scenario, right, the Darwins and the Popwins are from the top part of Australia, Hiding in the trees, yeah. to, you know, uh, but they're the same type of color phase when they're young, you know, so maybe mm-hmm. that iron, in, in the environment has something to do with it. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Now no, everybody's going to say, Eric said the carpets are Yeah, right now Eric says, yeah, yeah. That, that worked. <laughs> with green feet, uh, the way I would attribute the baby colors would be to help as a def- is like a predatory defense, in my opinion. You know, sure. You know, bright yellow, bright red, you know, it's nothing's going to want to eat that because they know it's going to taste bad, you know, but as mm. opposed to like, some of these scrub pythons and such, you know, they've got like this burnt kind of, you know, chocolate kind of red color. You know, that's not necessarily, in my opinion, something that you have, you know, historically, you know, developed to to ward off a predator. It would be more or less to help with, you know, hiding, from predators, you know, as an yeah. anti-predator, you know, uh, in my yeah. opinion, whatever it's worth. Yeah, because because a chondro is a different type of red. They're like red, red, yeah. you know, red, yeah, bright red. <laughs> as opposed to, you know, and yeah. I always thought that like maybe because they're hanging out in the bushes that yeah. they resemble the color of a flower, you know, like mm. some yeah. type of flower well, and plant. I remember, I think I might, I think I remember reading this. There was a paper that came out and it was um, analyzing the vision on a lot of birds and mm-hmm. For whatever reason, those colors, and this could be completely wrong. I could have been in a dream thinking of this, but <laughs> the colors basically were not read by the bird's vision. That's true. Yeah, that's that, true. So I wasn't dreaming. And yeah, okay. um, that time, and basically those serve as, you know, predatory defense. You know, they can't see them based off of those colors for whatever reason. Mm. That's, that's like a bright orange tiger. They yeah. found out that the, the primary prey of the tiger, this deer species, does not see orange. And, mm-hmm. and that the tiger, literally, when they look through simulating that deer's eye and, and what it can see, the tiger's, to- the tiger's totally disappeared where our vision picks it up and it stands out like yeah. a sore thumb. We're like, how do they ever sneak up on these deer? And they yeah. found that these deer cannot see the orange, and that's why they've developed that color. Also, a, uh, there's a caterpillar, too, that looks identical to a baby green tree. Uh, ah. Also, uh, but uh, as with you know, Bolins, I think it more or less is like a, to help as a predatory, you know, concealment for camouflage. I think that you know it's developed, um, you know, 
however many thousands of years, you know, they've they've developed to camouflage into the substrate because it's you know similar to their coloration. So, and I, I would yeah. probably put money on for a pipe. Yeah, it wasn't until I started doing a lot of herping where I started to notice, especially with the rock rattlesnakes out west, you really start to see like you walk down this one, you know, gully or whatever, and you're looking at this, it's, it's a white stone type of thing and you're like oh that's why these are white and then you go see you know it's just crazy how they just blend right in you know but yeah i mean um, i buy them you know you see them yeah Yeah. 100 percent um here's a question from aiden have you ever been have we ever had bones from the png side of the island imported into the u.s could they be significantly different very nice question. So historically, um, everything has come out of West Papua. Uh, however, there were a number of confiscated animals in the early 80s that came in from P&G. Mm. Even some other animals trickled in from P&G as well. Now, the, the, regu- the, the laws in Papua New Guinea on the eastern Eastern portion of the island, you know, which is Papua New Guinea, um, mm-hmm. they're highly protected over there. They're still protected on the western portion of West Papua, but their their uh, protected status is is very very different on the eastern portion. So, I mean, it is is not a likely thing. So there was a few of them back in this late seventies and early eighties that came in. However, there is nothing currently. Uh, there's a photo of one um, I had uh, in my first book with um, a friend of mine, Ian Riccio, who's curator of L.A. Zoo. This one was when he was a keeper at uh, California Zoo's out there, and he's holding it. It's a huge animal. Uh, and they, in my opinion, they both look morphologically different um, than Western portion populations. However, um, there needs to be more more research done on it. I, I am working. I have been working in the last couple of years of a couple field trips over to Papua New Guinea uh, to observe uh, bolins over there uh, to be able to do more work um, with those populations as well. So I would say. Uh, so to answer that question, uh, yes, in a small moderation, there were in the early 70s and 80s, but there's nothing now. And okay. uh, you feel that the eastern population are different morphologically than the western populations. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, wasn't, was- the, uh, wasn't the old uh, uh, thought, too, that they, they tended to be whiter? I was about to ask that. Yeah. yeah, that's been a whole. That's been a a, a topic in the bull and I conversation world since I remember first getting started with it. And you know, there's been reference to animals that have been like strikingly yellow, and there's been an, reference of animals that are you know like a pale white to a cream white color, and okay. everything. <laughs> bright yellow coloration um everything on the eastern portion of papua new guinea is cream to white color however there are animals that play yellow banding as well also in the way that the animals are photographed sometimes it can give the illusion that they are white as opposed right. to yellow. right right flash however there are two distinct words for yellow and white 
in the Indonesian language that is referred to, that's utilized in West Papua, as well as in Papua New Guinea, and they refer both either as yellow or white on the eastern portion. So hmm. once I'm working my way to get over to that side over there. Uh, I was actually, I've been actually dealing with that the last couple of days coming back because I have a friend over there that's been a local friend that's been doing some, you know, scouting areas and things like that for some potential sites to, to investigate. Um, because, you know, those animals, I, I definitely think are different, um, uh, than the western portion, uh, western population. Mm. That's cool. I mean, it would make sense. Most of the species are sort of separated. Yeah. You know. I mean, I think with, though, is West Papua, Papua New Guinea is not geographically, you know, split. It's politically right. split. Yeah. Um, right. So, however, that mountain chain is extensive and it starts all the way up to the bird's head peninsula, you know, all the way up to like Fak Fak. And it goes mm-hmm. all the way down to the middle of Port Moresby. So it's like, you know, it's a huge, extensive range. It would be interesting to get data loggers out in a nesting area in Papua New Guinea and relate it and compare it to animals that I've collected uh, weather data from West Papua as well. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay, did I get all the questions? I think we did. Well, so far, yeah, the ones we have so far. Okay. Got anything, Keith? <laughs> um, I think we touched on a lot of the bases. I mean, you know, I got always got questions, but... Yeah, <laughs> I know. Oh, don't worry, yeah. <laughs> but I think ours touched on everything, yeah. Uh, Here's one. <clears throat> What's that? How are my skulls doing over there, Keith? <laughs> yeah, I know. Holy shit, I forgot all about them damn things. They're still in that back room. <laughs> right. Yeah, we got to get them mailed out to you. You know what? It probably makes sense at this point to do it after Christmas. Oh yeah. Yeah, no rush. No rush at all. They'll, they'll get they'll get lost in the uh shuffle there. So Ari Ari was able to uh get some of his artwork back. And uh when he came up for Amanda's wedding, he came up and stayed with us for a couple of days. So. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. the the skulls that yeah. Ari did. Yeah, so I left. I left them in the one of your Keith's back rooms. So that's why we've been visited by so many spirits and ghosts lately. <laughs> you know, if I had a dollar for every time I left priceless artwork at Keith's back you room, know? I mean, <laughs> god damn. But he's house, you know. Yeah, uh, he has everything. <laughs> so it's. <laughs> I think we've talked about this, but have you seen any bull and eye in the tree on your trips or are they always on the ground? Question. So I've got uh, a couple photographs of a female up in a tree, actually, on yeah, basking, it looks like. Um, I don't know if I have it. Let me see. While we're talking, I might be able to send it to Keith and he can post it um, yeah. if I can find it. Um, it's a. It was actually a really cool photo. Um, he was out doing... Does I don't know. I think he was out basking or something. Must have. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever seen that. Uh, let's see if I can. That is cool. Talk amongst yourselves if I can find it. Be a- well, I mean, well, well, Ari's here. I mean, uh, again, this could be a time where I try to mail him my resume to see if I can get a job at a, at a zoo working. You know, I, I can clean cages, I promise. And I have been known to breed an animal or two. Um, uh, the only thing, I need help convincing my wife to move to Texas. It's the only thing that's holding me back right now. So, 
Yeah. So, oh, and they're they're looking for somebody to put on a mermaid suit and swim oh, with the uh, fire I will turtles. Put on shells, if you can tell me <laughs> that I can work yeah. it, like I'll, I'll figure it out. Don't worry. It was. Oh, I actually found it. Can you believe that? I'm so yes. <laughs> nice. Go. Let me uh, get the. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm, send I'll, it I'll the group on with the crocodiles and sing, Keith. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can they'll, they'll shut down that program wall. in five whole minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we don't oh, have wow. a high enough cool. Patreon thing for that. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. big tier. All right. This is a pretty cool picture, actually. Uh, <laughs> let me get it up that, here. That, good yeah. reference for the ask that question. I'm glad wow, I asked. That's it. awesome. Right? Of course, now it's not letting me share it. God damn <laughs> it. Hold on. We can promise the people who are, you know, why is that, that not you know, up? trust Hold me, on. it's the coolest picture. It's an awesome picture. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so great. It's so cool. It's, it's like the first couple seasons of NPR uh, when we looked at pictures. We'd be like, yeah, it's awesome. It's a great, great audio content, guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have another try again. Um, oh, well, you try. It looks like I got another one here. Um, it's not coming up with the. If you want to highlight bad. that question, it looks like uh, we're asking how bad is smuggling or poaching of the bull and I in West Papua. Uh, it's how bad is the smuggling or the poaching of bull and I in West Papua? Well, as with everything it is as bad as it is uh bad as the demand uh the i mean i always i always hate seeing it we live in a in a world now where there are you know you can do everything essentially and a lot of these places that i go to even being so remote other generation all have phones they all see media uh they come across things that you know and and they're very people and they should be because they don't have anything you know so um there's a photo right there so you know i um i saw a lot of babies uh this time that were were collected unfortunately Uh, it was very exciting to see babies because i absolutely in love with Bolin's pythons and any, everything about them, but it was also very heartbreaking knowing that the majority of all probably going to die. Mm. Uh, so that's just reality, you know, supply and demand. That's, that's the best right. way to do that. Um, what I can say is there, um, there are some people that are working with them right now. that are having success, hoping that the, and then it drives the prices down for people to be able to acquire these animals, enjoy them, yeah. opposed to a social status. Did I say that? Um, hmm. And also, um, you know, it's just it's just how it, it doesn't matter if it's a bull's python, a green python, you know, a blue tree monitor. You know, if people want them, there's somebody out there that try to get them for them. And, and, and you know, thing they want out of it is money, and that's all. You know, money drives the world essentially. So, yeah, um, we have to care about what we look as far as like what our passions are, what we're looking for, what we're wanting to collect as a collector or a hobbyist. 
ultimately have negative consequences, not just on us as a keeper, but it also will have consequences on animals. And that'll be even more of a fact. They'll, they'll bite us in the ass down the road. Yeah. Well, I finally got it to work. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes you find, yeah, the we can see the bullens in the tree. And that's a good size animal. Yeah, yeah it's it, a big animal. Yeah, I like it. That's an awesome pick, man. A little fin. She, if I remember, this one was a while ago. I think she was, she must have, because sometimes they will go off their egg. Um, the females will go off their eggs to bask uh, or to hydrate or something like that, you know, in mm. uh, scenario, because she was skinny. I'm pretty sure she was off her eggs at that time. All right. I think, I think that was just before uh, COVID shut down your trips over there. I think so. Yeah, that was uh, that was really weird going back in on COVID, after COVID too. That was really strange. Yeah, you didn't know what you were going to find because you lost contact with some of the people that you knew there and all. It was like going into a, like a like a, a zombie scene. Like there was like Jeez. no out, and it was just everybody was like you know just like on there was the tension. You could like cut it with a knife. Essentially, it was so tense. Um, really. Yeah, this last time, well, I mean, when I just got back, I mean, they had a big, a big uprise. I'm working on this other book, too. So this this other trip was was helpful for me because I was like, you know, I could get away from all the hustle and bustle with the zoo and all my personal life stuff and everything. And I could just kind of sit in this grass hut in the mountain and I could work on my my research and my book. So I was writing about it. But it was there was a big um, a big issue uh, maybe about four or five months ago. Um, I don't know if you guys want me to talk about it or not, but yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, apparently, uh, like, in, they have a huge market in the city, in the capital, uh, up, up in the Highlands, um, and everybody goes there and sells food, you know, vegetables, meat, whatever, you know, trinkets, all that shit. You know, it's and it's ninety percent, you know, tribal, you know, tribal people that are there, and then you've got you've got Indonesians, you've got um, a few Chinese that are there, not too many in that area. Um, and, People go there basically get things that they need. So apparently, um, two Indonesian, two Indonesians, um, I don't know who they were or where they came from or whatever, tried to kidnap a small Papuan girl. Uh, he was, like, I think she was, she wasn't an infant, but she was like four or five. And you know, and, and a lot of the kids, you know, they just run around and nobody's paying attention and stuff. But they mm-hmm. always know where. Really. And these two guys tried to kidnap her, and she ran back to the to the market, you know, screaming and everything. And it caused a gigantic uproar and should have. And uh, and uh, the uh, the gentlemen that were trying to kidnap this girl, they took off and then the mob followed them and the police got involved. And basically the police sided uh, with two men and the locals went nuts and then just started tearing shit up. And it was burning buildings down, arrows out, a bunch of were killed and both military and locals. Um, my friend called me and he was like, he had to shack up and uh, with his family in a, um, in the police station because that was the only safe place to be. Jesus. And when wow. I got like, there was cars burned on the road. It looked like a scene from Mad Max. When I, when I showed up, you know, things Jeez. are burned. It's not a friendly environment. It's, you know, people are like, Oh my God, it must be incredible. It is incredible, but it's not friendly. You know, it's not a, you know, it's, happy place you know in a lot of these areas it's dirty and dangerous you know there's not a lot there except for these snakes up in the mountains so that's i'm, right. 
out of the city. <laughs> like, yeah. Jeez. But yeah, so that was a big one. Uh, but and that just had kind of like calmed down, and they shut down the internet to the area, so nobody could report on it. And the military was just going through blasting people, and like locals were like, you know, shooting arrows. And I got pictures of like military guys with arrows on their necks and their chest, and all this stuff laying on the ground, getting hacked up, and everything, and stuff like that. So. Jesus, just makes me think of how much our problems here are. <laughs> like it's just a different level of Eric. Eric's store ran out of bottled water last, and there was a riot. Yeah, so. yeah, we would <laughs> not. We would not survive. Like <laughs> yeah, you know, these people, like you know, it's, I, I feel for them because obviously those guys were up to something negative, you know, and uh, they. Uh, but they should have done is just let the, the locals have their way with them instead of the police, you know, basically trying to de-escalate the situation because that didn't, they went, they did not want that at all. And they just went crazy. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Chris asked if you have seen any croc monitors on your trips. I have not. Uh, the area I'm at, they are not uh, inhabiting, um, but they are in areas where um, I know, to see them i just haven't had a cool. chance to <laughs> riley was asking if there's any dangerous people there but <laughs> i think we already got covered that yeah. From yeah. Outsiders. they don't like outsiders <laughs> Jeez. I mean, yeah. the, the locals are very to themselves uh they can very very kind very caring and accommodating if they get to know you but they're very shy people um mm-hmm. there's so a lot of militant uh, people, they call the OPM, and they're like freedom fighters. Uh, and basically they have military firearms, military, you know, vests, all that stuff. And they're Poplin and they live in the mountains and they fight with the military there and they will kidnap anybody that comes through. Predominantly, it's the people outside the mines, but they have there was a big OPM thing on Papua New Guinea where there was a, a, a New Zealand pilot that was bringing uh, food uh, to a, a remote village and they he's still with them right now and this has been like six months um mm. so you know they kidnap people that's not an uncommon thing you know so right uh, it happens so and and women are also treated differently at, in that environment also in that part of the world because you know obviously you know they're not seen as equals as the men there so you know rape is still a prevalent thing that happens there um and kidnapping and things like that too so it's a dangerous place um mm. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll stick with Australia where the only thing we have problem is is that we get lettuce on our toasties. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> on our toasties. Oh boy. In in inside uh in inside our grilled cheeses there's lettuce. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. That's good. <laughs> inside jokes. Um uh I was going to ask, I don't know, Keith, did you have any other questions before? Cause we're almost, we're about 10 minutes. Almost, almost yeah, no, time. I'm, I'm good. Okay. Got I was going to ask two, two things. How yeah. is the Replandia going? Yes. How is that like, you know, couldn't yeah, have rep- you on and not talk about that. You need to go. <laughs> I, I yeah. want to, like I've been, yes. you know, I watch, I watch Ari and his wife post up stuff all the time and I'm like, please just, can I yeah. Anytime. You know, I'll, I mean, I, I always need, we always need help, you know, with stuff and uh, it's going really well. It's, you know, it's a new business, obviously. So, you know, the word is getting out on everything and 
But um, everybody that comes out is just blown away and, and very happy with what we've done. And we're, we're still, you know, fine tuning things and, you know, finding out what works best and what doesn't work. And, you know, we're moving lighting and stuff around too, to make more aesthetics and things like that. But, but it's going really well. It's um, we have a very impressive collection. A lot of times I take it for granted because I'm so used to seeing it every day. Um, I mean, yeah, it's off the wall stuff. For yeah. Sure. Yesterday we did um because we're closed on Monday, so uh, my wife and I we we got a hold. One of the nice things about being rural out in Texas is we get a lot of you know livestock stuff we have access to. So I got a hold of a couple big eight pound rabbits, and I you know euthanized one of them humanely, and uh, uh, I and tied it up and gave it to the komodo and let the komodo do. Us. Oh, I uh, saw that. Yeah, just the Komodo do Komodo things. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I take the granite and take the for granted. There's our dragon. <laughs> eh, whatever. It's, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and letting him utilize all of his important muscles and, and you know and be active yeah. when he's as opposed to just you know gulleting down a rat or something like that. So That's great. You know, it's, it's it, it was fun. So it was a good time and. um and, uh, but yeah, you guys are always welcome. You know, don't even, you, I've got a guest room, you know, you're always welcome. You know, if not, I've got a hotel like about 20 minutes from us. So you're- yeah, that's where we stayed and, uh, it was very accommodating and you literally get on the road and just coast right down through Atlantia. It was perfect. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure a lot we of good can, food. I'm sure, I'm sure we, we convinced yeah. Teresa and Keith to take another yeah. trip like uh, yeah, on the weekend like, yeah, or something. Yeah. Sure sneak away. Twist yeah. Keith's arm a little bit to be like, hey, we're going out to Ari's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh no. Yeah. We also did uh, West Texas Carpet Fest, which was yeah, a lot yeah, of that's fun. That's thing. Yes. Yep. Yep. So you guys will come down for the next West Texas Carpet I, Fest. I, w- I think I will have to try to make a trip because I'm I'm dying to see your place and you know, I uh, like I said, I just want to leave copies of my resume, very like places to see what happens. You know, the, the very cool, the very cool thing is you can explore Replandia and you can just sit there in front of exhibits and drift off I to wherever that. the thing is, right? But yeah. then you can also, you know, walk on Ari's property and find. Um, we found some cool snakes, but the best part is going to chill on Ari's por- porch as the sun's going down. And yeah. just sitting there and just chilling and thinking about the day. It was just, yeah. it was just nice. really amazing. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I would have been out there for the carpet fest, but I was herping in Florida and we already had that booked. And I was kind of bummed when it was like, I was like, no, of all weekends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, it'll be fun. You know, it's like we, uh, like he said, there's some, we have some really cool herps on property. We found, I think we've had 11 species on property. We nice. found. Hognose, Pachino snakes, coach whips, rat, um, alligator lizards, alligator lizard. We had uh, uh, Aatrox. Yep, Aatrox, copperheads, nice. um, all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, and then our bird. We have some really beautiful birds that are here, also as well. Um, yeah, so you guys are more than welcome anytime. And Keith, you you know you don't even. Need to, Ask you. Yeah, I just, I'll just show up. He just shows up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 brings the black and white cookies for Ryu. You know? yeah, no. Absolutely. There you go. Yeah. You don't. Keith, <laughs> Keith's on our front doorstep, Dan. Damn it. <laughs> you don't have a date for Carpet Fest for 2024, do you? No. Uh, get one for you because uh we're gonna we're gonna try to make it a, a yearly thing because it was a lot of fun and sweet and cool had a 
time. And it was just, it was just, it was just low key barbecuing. You know, my, my good friend Kyle came out and he was barbecuing and you got like Boudin and all this stuff. And we just like, everybody's just hanging out, talking about snakes and walking around, looking at the zoo. We opened, we closed it at like 11 o'clock and just okay. you know, had fun, you know, just a good time. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the dream. So yeah. That's how it goes. Awesome. Um, cool. Um, Ari. If anybody yep. wants, is there any way that they can help you, support you, uh, anything as Contribute far as... Contribute to your research, Replantius, yeah. something. Yeah, so um, all my research is funded uh, pr- primarily out of my own pocket. And then I also have um, a, a very, very important sponsor, Todd Goodman from Timberline, uh, who has been with me through the thing, who generously donates to my research twice a year. And then I also have a couple other people that will donate here and there as well. So anything helps. If you're interested in just send me a message. Um, you can, you know, go to my website, projectblackpython.org, um, or you can find me on Facebook, send me a message or something like that. And, you know, just, you know, wanted to thank you guys for having me on again. And thank you for always supporting me with what I'm doing. And 100%. Always, I think, uh, talk some, about some, somebody put in there about yeah. an NPR bowl and I shirt. I think we, we, we may have to yeah. dust off and do that again. Cause I know yeah. we did like, we had two models for you at one point and I, you know, about- I, I wouldn't mind doing that again. So yeah. I think that was yeah. fun. Yeah. And we can uh, put all the proceeds going to uh, to your research. Yeah, our research. Be great. So I'd like to do that. That'd be fun. Yeah. Please use another shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I could always, yeah, yeah. yeah. another Bolin shirt. Oh, no. Like, I'm pretty sure I have four now. Like, it's. Right. <laughs> all right. Still looking for a cowboy hat for you, Keith, even though your head's too large for everybody. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't find when nobody can. <laughs> I drive by that place every every day. I was there the other day driving by seeing my mother, and I was like, man, maybe they got a new shipment in. I'm like, nah, they probably didn't. <laughs> you, you guys think he's kidding. We were in Texas where everything's supposed to be big, right? So when Ari's yeah. busy and, you know, they're still putting Replandia together when we were there, Teresa and I would drive around i mean like within a 50 mile radius to stop at every hat store they had there and there wasn't a damn hat that fit my freaking head oh, i got damn. the one in australia that fits my giant head we got know, that's mine yeah two together mm. no offense owen but i think keith has a little more brain power whoa <laughs> even, even the guy in the store he's like sir i've never seen a head as big as yours <laughs> Nice. Sir, we cannot accommodate such a, a large head. I was like, oh. He literally can't walk through the door because his head is too big. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks for bringing yeah. that up, Art. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do what I can. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for giving these guys more fuel. That's good. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Uh, you know, um, so do you have a trip? You, I don't even know if I asked this. Do you have a trip lined up for, for next year? You do already or no? Doing another, I'm going to be doing another uh, jaunt and probably I'll probably do another. I don't know what time, but I'll be going back to the same spot. I'm going to probably mix it up. So it won't be the same time because I want to see if those areas are active um, aside from area too. So, but I'm also trying to plan out this Papua New Guinea thing as well, too, where I can time it um, also um, to, to be able to kind of see if there's any, 
you know, weather differences on things like that. And then just be able to put hands on a Papuan, a Papuan New Guinea animal and just look at it compared to the West Papuan right. one. I mean, yeah. they are different in my mind already. So, but yeah, so yep. There's always, okay. that would be cool. cool. Well, We'll have you back as soon as you come back. Yeah, and, sweet, uh, Yeah, <laughs> this is we good. We can, you. we can always have episodes. Keep coming in. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I love it. The holiday episode. You know? Oh, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. uh. It's coming up. <laughs> the holidays, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for uh, yeah. coming and hanging out. Thank you, Keith, for. Uh, you know, bringing your bold I high knowledge I mean, and know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> keeping us on, on point. I don't know if he's protecting yeah. Ari from us or us ah. from Ari. <laughs> it's just a little. And a little bit of both. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so, I think he's protecting Ari. me and Ari from he's you. protecting Ari. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. I'm a delight. Don't like, how do you dare, dare you? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what do we got to say before we go? We gotta uh, the, check out the, the things and the things. Yeah, yeah, the and, things uh, and the stuff. Great. It's great yeah. advertising. Thanks. Uh, good buddy. job. Yeah. Uh, Cold-blooded um, caffeine. Uh, good, since we were yeah. talking about Bolin's pythons, you might as well know that in the show notes, there's an affiliate link for uh, Carpets and Coffee. Uh, and that is a PNG Blend. Uh, coffee. Yeah. It's delicious. quite delicious. Yes. It is. Yes. Nice. It is my favorite of all of them. I've had all of them. And that yeah. one is the best. I know it's a little, it seems like it's biased, but he made it specifically to my taste. For us. And so, yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so you got that. Um, you can follow the link and uh, you, you'll get some, uh, some awesome coffee. Those guys are great. Cold blooded caffeine. And then we have cafe, uh, which we it's have. Different. The, Don't drink <laughs> cold blooded cafe stuff. Yeah. Cold blooded cafe stuff is where you get your rats. So, well, your first order. First right? order. Yeah. First yeah. order. Okay. MPR 10% off your first order. Calendar well, should be uh, probably by maybe Thursday, I'm thinking. They yeah, should those be will live. be up soon. Uh, yep. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, it. The Patreon, go to the Spring Store, check out the stuff there. And uh, uh, I think the next episode is I think we're going to try to squeeze the breeding episode in before Nipper gets mad because we have to talk about how to breed a carpet python again for yeah, the 14th okay. year in a row. It doesn't <laughs> change. Like it's the, but what? Fine, fine. We'll do the breeding episode again. And then I think we're, we're staring down the pike of the holiday show where yep. um, we must now put up the poll, air grievances and uh, drink merrily while on a podcast. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's about normal. And then we'll yeah. take the break, and then we'll be back for uh, season fourteen of NPR. So I think that might be wrong, but yes, fourteen, fifteen. <laughs> I don't give a yeah. shit. It's all it all blends together now. It's Very that, good. I've been trapped in this prison. Won't someone help me? So, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back. I'm gonna have to find the first time Ari was on. Because oh, yeah, like, I was. Like, I was yeah. like, uh, yeah, because years like, ago, many moons time, passed. The first time that you came on the show, first of all, I couldn't believe that you were going to come on the show. That was number Talk one. And then yeah, number two, I'm like, oh my god, it's like being starstruck, you know? Like, oh my god, this guy's like in Poland Python, blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff, man. Oh yeah, I'll have to find it and put it up. But uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Go ahead, Owen. Say your. Uh, <laughs> say your stuff. That's all we have for everybody this week. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll catch everybody back here next week for some more Rather Python Radio. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Ari. Thanks. Bye. Bye.